Dynasty Blueprint with Matt Williamson and Ryan McDowell. Welcome into another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined by Matt Williamson. Matt, how are things? Things are good. Um, after our show earlier this week, I yes. made a Dynasty trade that I got a lot of flack for. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> I don't I, have a lot I, else I to report this. other than that, but I kind of took my, my words of wisdom from our last show and... Maybe went a little too far after an extra bourbon or so that evening, and uh, <laughs> traded. Uh, I traded Sony Michelle, who I am a little down on, right. but I traded him for Baldwin and Hyde. And needless to say, when I put it on Twitter, I would say one or two percent at least saw my side of things. <laughs> that's that's not usually good. The, not the usually. bourbon, the bourbon makes sense though. That that gives a little context. Uh, yeah, I, I can't blame it though. Here's the thing with this deal, Matt, and I don't, I mean, I I don't think this is going to necessarily work out in your direction, but I just keep going back, and I know we've talked about it on the show before, I keep going back to that deal that you and I made, it's got to be, I don't know, two or three, four years ago now, when I was a strong contender in a league, you were just starting out and kind of trying to build that team up. And you, you traded me a top three running back named Eddie Lacy, and I traded you a, a rookie wide receiver that was stinking things up named Devontae Adams, and you just got drilled and killed on <laughs> right. Twitter. Yeah. People hated that deal that? for you. Right. How could you do that? And we know how that story went. So You never you, know. You didn't get the young receiver that has some promise in this deal necessarily, but you got... You got an old, reliable Doug Baldwin, and I think for you to win this deal, Carlos Hyde has to win that job. I think that's what has to happen. But in general, I do, I do kind of like selling Sony Michelle. Yeah, um, I probably should have got a second round pick or something thrown in. You know, a third piece yeah, at least. Yeah. Oh well. It, it's funny. I, I was thinking a lot. A lot of times, I find myself, and I don't know if you're like this. I, I find myself a little hesitant to even make trades sometimes just, you know, is it going to be good for my team? What are the risks? What if this guy blows up or whatever? I never have that fear. You don't? It doesn't matter. Nope. Well, I need to be, I need to be more like you, but the other day I thought, what's so bad about losing a fantasy football trade? What's the big deal? Like what's the worst that's going to happen? Maybe you and I should run a team together sometime. We'd complement each other. Well, Ooh, we may have to try that. (laughs) Might have to do that. More on that later, right? (laughs) Matt, let's go ahead and bring in our guest today. We've got a great one, one of our favorites. We've got Travis May, one of my coworkers over at Dynasty Command Center. Travis is also the new Devi coordinator at Rotoviz. Travis, that sounds really, really impressive. Tell us about that. (laughs) That sounds so important that no one really knows what it is. But uh, those are the best titles, right? But uh, no, it's it's really just to come in and uh, work with the amazing team that they already have to just really amp up all of the Devi Dynasty League content and uh, just kind of retool that as they kind of change some things with the website and uh, get some rankings out there and uh, just amp up that coverage and and really just kind of make it my own. So really looking forward to that and already, of course, been enjoying my time with the DCC guys, uh, you and Curtis and, and the whole crew. So, but yeah, thanks for having me on again. I, I feel like this is, uh, I think it's, I don't know, maybe, maybe my third time on the show. So it's always good to, to come back and hang with you, uh, you beautiful faces. So uh, can't wait to talk about the guide and, and much more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. You, you mentioned the guide over at Dynasty Command Center. We do have our rookie guide. We, we just released volume two. We did one really as, as soon as, what Travis? As soon as the college football season ended, I think some yeah. of the bowl games were still going on when oh, we yeah. released that first edition. We re- just released a second edition post combine. We'll have uh, we'll have the third version post draft. Uh, tell us a little bit about your role as as a contributor to the guide, especially in this latest version. Uh, so I started off uh, talking about the 2018, 2019, and 2020 classes, kind of doing a quick overview of uh, really just. All the incoming rookies, players that have just entered the league, players that are entering this year, and players that are about to be in the league next year, and just talked about the various positions and which ones uh, have, which classes have uh, various positions that I'm more interested in. 
And then, of course, uh, really spent a lot of time doing some uh, wide receiver charting uh, for this last particular guide, which um, that was a lot of fun. I ended up, I guess it was about 112 games of wide receivers that I charted. Top 14 wide receivers took a look at, you know, basically every snap and reception and uh, route ran and uh, a whole bunch more. So I uh, broke all that down and hopefully the, the readers enjoy that. But uh, it's, all, it's always fun just spending a lot of time and, and digging deep to just find something more. Yeah, absolutely. We we want to talk about both of those pieces that you did for the guide and, and dig into those a little bit deeper as uh as as all the readers of that guide could do. So let's start let's start with that 2019 class overview. As you said, you looked not only at the incoming rookie class but also a look back at last year's class, the impact that they made and and a look ahead at the 2020 rookie class. I know that group is already getting a ton of hype. <clears throat> I was talking with a couple of friends and we say it every year. So I hate to say it, but it just, it looks so exciting that 2020 class, the running backs, we, we know wide receivers are looking stronger and stronger. It's, it's already looking like a, like a juicy class, but <laughs> let's, let's start with the, the 2019 group. We'll, we'll try to focus on this year a little bit. So let's, let's talk about the running backs first. Who's your top ranked running back at this point, and where are you drafting him in a rookie draft? So even prior to uh, Josh Jacobs running over a four six today at his uh, his pro day, I was I was in in the camp of Miles Sanders being my running back one. Uh, he was in the conversation for quite some time, but I think I, I've I decided after his combine that that was just kind of one more question that was answered. So with Miles Sanders, and he's really been a part of my running back charting. Uh, project that I I uh, really haven't published anywhere just yet, but uh, what he does successfully uh, in 11 personnel and 12 personnel, I think really projects well for the pro game, and uh, what how he performs against uh, boxes with an extra defender, I think uh, speaks volumes to his ability to create. I think uh, he has one of the best athletic profiles in this class, and if you look at you know all the running backs in a very, really uninspiring <laughs> athletically anyway, a uh, group of guys. I mean, he basically has top three or four combine. I'd like 70th percentile with his 4.49.40, had uh, 85th percentile with his broad jump, uh, about 70th percentile with his vert. And really, he didn't have any particular downfall to his athletic profile at the combine, answered a lot of questions there. And he's got the pedigree dating back to entering college as the number one overall running back uh, and just had to sit behind Saquon Barkley for good reason. Saquon's pretty good, but Miles Sanders just, uh, when he had the opportunity, he produced in a big way. So if you guys like that, if you guys like running backs that produce, are athletic, uh, can catch the ball, uh, and really just do just about everything well, that's who Miles Sanders is. He also is from Woodland Hills High School here in Pittsburgh. It's a very, very heavily recruited school. Steve Breston, Ryan Mundy, all kinds of NFL guys that ended up in quite a, quite a group. Uh, Gronk, Gronk went there, actually, for a bit. Is it safe to say with Sanders, you know him better than I do, but from what I see, he may not have a A or A-plus strength to his game, but I also don't think he has a C or C-plus phase weakness to his game. I think that's probably true. I think he's really balanced. He does a lot of things incredibly well. I think that's mm-hmm. uh, a lot of, like... What I liked about Carryon Johnson last year, I, I wouldn't say that Carryon Johnson was just a, you know, he's not a speed freak. He's not the perfect receiver. He's not the perfect anything, but he does so many things well. He's going to be drafted early, uh, especially in, in a class like this. So I like a, a lot of different things uh, when it comes to Sanders, but I, I think you're right. I think it's not that he is just this blow you away automatic lock for early first round draft pedigree. And, and I don't think there's really anybody like that in this class. So that's that's kind of why he is in the conversation for my running back one, which he probably normally wouldn't be in any other class. Do you also think public perception didn't help to follow Barkley? You know, like, you never want to be <laughs> yeah. the guy that follows the stud. Oh, no, because, I mean, anything that you do is not going to be good enough, you know, compared right, right. to one of the greatest running backs ever, potentially. So it's just really tough to follow that. Travis, do you, do you think that's all it is that has taken – has taken people so long to come around on Sanders because even, uh, even during the season and he, he had a 
very successful season this past year as the starter and, and taking over for Barkley, as you mentioned. But it's only really the past, what, month or, or six weeks or so that people are starting to push him up the ranks. So so what is it that was maybe the negative or, or just what's taken so long? I think for a lot of people, they just, I mean, you don't have as much to go off of with guys like Sanders because his freshman and sophomore season, he didn't even eclipse 200 rushing yards. And so you just have less to go off of. I think a lot of guys, even even the Debbie guys who maybe liked Miles Sanders, Miles Sanders as a recruit, didn't really get done with his film from college until about six weeks ago. And so it just we're just now realizing, holy cow, this guy was right here the whole time. <laughs> like yeah. we knew what he could do, but when we actually stack his numbers up against this class, wow, this guy might be the running back one. And sometimes it just takes a while to get through the top 10, 12 at a position to really form that opinion, even if you've been watching these players that, who have a more complete production profile for years now. So it's just, it takes some time, but you know, around March, those, those opinions start uh, really coming into clear, clear view for sure. As much as you like him though, and, and it sounds like you're at least as high on him as anyone out there. I mean, he's your running back one. It's safe to say that several, I mean, not just Barkley, backs from last year are ahead of him in value still, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, the 2017-2018 class, I think there are several that I would take over Sanders. Uh, And really, this is even before we figure out where Sanders really lands. So Mm -hmm. I think he's not going to be in, in, there's no way he's going to be a first-round pick, uh, in my opinion. In fact, there's probably no running backs that go in the first round at this point, I think the earliest we're looking at a running back being taken is probably 35, 36 in that range, um, at the very earliest, but it could be later. Uh, and so we may be looking at a class that looks a lot more like the Bishop Sankey, Jeremy Hill, Carlos Hyde class uh, than it does 2017 or 2018. So, Travis, I think for most people, Sanders might be a little bit of a surprise as your RB1, even after his combine performance, even after, uh, as you said, taking some time to finish up his film and and get an idea of what he offers. It still seems like for most that RB1 spot is is a two-man race between Josh Jacobs, who you mentioned, and David Montgomery, who was, was the longtime favorite until Jacobs and Sanders kind of came on here in the past couple months. So just just really quickly with each of those guys, what is it that keeps them out of your RB1 spot? Well, with Jacobs, I think he's kind of just a, a weird animal by himself that just there's not been a player with that incomplete a profile that anyone's considered to be the running back one in. And, and I don't know how long. I mean, if you look at what he's done to really never have a season, really even this year, never really have a productive season uh, where he's consistently carrying the ball 10, 12 times a game. I mean, I, yeah, his his six heaviest carry games, like if you combine all of them together, it's still only like 75 carries. Uh, you do the same thing for like a David Montgomery, and it's like double that. Uh, the, the workload is just, it's really hard to go off of from a, a film standpoint because you really can't see a, uh, you know, hey, this guy just took the game over consistently type role for him. There, there are flashes of, of absolute greatness, really, from Josh Jacobs, and I think he may at times uh, flash more than a Miles Sanders. He may flash more than a David Montgomery. But um, that consistent performance, uh, you know, down for down, game for game, we just never really got to see it. And that doesn't mean it's impossible for Josh Jacobs. But, you know, after gathering the information that we had now at his pro day and realizing that he's probably maybe a bottom half athlete at the position, and David Montgomery is probably a bottom third athlete at the position, there's, there's now even more questions with uh, with both of them. Uh, and so Josh Jacobs, I mean, really, he had that 159-yard run against Georgia uh, in prime time in the SEC championship game. But outside that, in his other five games, like all together that I looked at, uh, which was basically his, his basically all the six games where he had the most carries this past season, and I charted all those just to get a sense of who he is as a player, he had one other carry that went for more than 20 yards and so I think like he's he's taken advantage of some key moments, key opportunities to to look really good when everyone's watching, uh, and I think that's really pumped him up. And being an Alabama back, that's really pumped him up. And I think any other year he wouldn't be in the running back one conversation. So for me, I have less questions about a Miles Sanders, uh, and, t- and given the totality of his profile, 
versus uh, Jacobs. And really, Montgomery's right there. He's right there for me in that two, three conversation. I think that's the top three, and it's pretty clear cut for me. Uh, Montgomery, I-, I like what he does against stack boxes as well. Similarly, he faced some uh, pretty unfavorable situations, uh, similar to Miles Sanders. But athletically, if I have a lot more questions there, uh, that that's a little bit of a knock for me. Um, I want to see somebody that has a little bit more burst, a little bit more speed. Obviously, he's really elusive, decisive decision maker. I like his pro, like production profile, um, but he's just right, right there, almost like a one B uh, to my Miles Sanders <laughs> uh, pick at running back one. Quick question for you on Jacobs. The news is pretty recent about a not so great pro day, especially the forty time. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like that didn't shock you. No, not not at all. I don't. I don't mm-hmm. think that. Uh, I don't. I was not expecting him to get anywhere near a four or five. Like I think some people uh, thought was going to be the case. Uh, I think a lot of times he's he's kind of a build up speed guy, and I think that showed if you look at the the videos of him running the forty today. Um, I'm not saying that uh, running the pro day 40 poorly is is an end all be all assessment of a player, but he had in, in the six games that I charted of his last fall, he had averaged about two and a half yards before contact, and sometimes it's because he actually made somebody miss, but a lot of the times it was because the Alabama line gave him a nice, huge runway to just get going, uh, and it's a lot easier to generate yak, and it's a lot easier to bulldoze tiny defensive backs um, and, and make a few big highlights when you have about a two-and-a-half-yard head start uh, when, you know, conversely, like a guy like Daryl Henderson or Miles Sanders has like a, a yard less than that on average. So uh, it, it, he had a lot going for him this year, and I, I'm not surprised that he was not a, a plus-level athlete at all. So, Travis, we'll do our rookie mock, one-round rookie mock that we always do at the end of these shows later. But give us give us a little sneak peek. Miles Sanders is your RB1. Where would you expect, based on what you know now, that you might be drafting him in a rookie draft? Uh, he sits firmly for me in, inside the middle of the first round, uh, maybe above that. I mean, I might put him up in the – depending on – landing spots i think uh, if he's not in a horrible spot i think i'm going to find myself taking him at the as soon as the pick three or four i think there are some wide receivers i really believe in this year and really want to root for just frankly i mean i'll probably pick over him because uh, i don't think there's any elite elite running back in this class but i think he's he's going to be in that conversation once he gets a decent landing spot people are going to look around and say oh yep that's that's an easy pick he's a top half of the first round type guy before we move on from the running back conversation, as as we said in this article, you looked at the 2018, 2019, and 2020 draft classes, at least the potential 2020 class. Yeah, uh, Those guys always surprise us uh, each do. year by, by going back to school. But um, a, a lot of our listeners just focus on the NFL and, and on their dynasty teams, and, and even Matt would be one of those. Uh, it's, it's around this time each year that a lot of people jump into – the rookie work and, and catching up on uh, film and things like that. So tell our listeners, if, if you had to narrow it down to three or four potential 2020 running backs that you would say, make sure you watch these guys this fall, who would those guys be and, and why? And real quick, do any of them compare to Barkley or Gurley or one of those type of guys coming out as well? I don't think I don't think any of them compared to a Barkley, uh, maybe a Gurley, maybe. Uh, but even Gurley had kind of an incomplete college profile, I guess. True. But uh, but really, I'd say DeAndre Swift, another Georgia back, is a must uh, if you're going to check out some rookies to get excited about next year. Obviously, uh, Travis Etienne, and not just because his name is Travis, but he's actually a really good running back for Clemson. Obviously, those are two good, obvious names to some, just because. They've been highly recruited, you know, out of high school and produced right away, pretty much. And they flashed in big games and on national television. But uh, definitely DeAndre Swift, Travis Etienne. Um, beyond that, Cam Akers. Uh, in high school, he was more of like a wildcat quarterback than he was a running back. But he's really been the only bright spot on the Florida State offense for the past two years. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm I'm excited to see what he is if his uh, pedigree is going to check out and. He's going to be the athlete that I think he can be. Uh, I think he's going to be a bright spot again for the Florida State offense this fall. 
And then Eno Benjamin uh, for Arizona State. I really like his game. He's a little bit undersized uh, for a feature type back, but I think he's been adding weight ever since he joined Arizona State. And it doesn't matter who he's playing. If he's playing Oregon State and throwing up, you know, 250 yards on the ground or playing Washington, who was a top five rush defense last year, uh, he still finds a way to crack 100 yards just about every week. So he's a lot of fun. Really, really elusive guy who can also catch passes. So I'm excited about those four in particular. Very good group. Ryan, do you have any more questions about 2020? Uh, no, I don't think so. Because I'd like to tell our friends about Reality Sports Online. I mean, by now, I'm sure most of you have heard of them. They're, they're a powerful fantasy sports platform where owners get to build and manage their fantasy team like a true NFL general manager. So if you're listening to this, I think you're going to be pretty dialed in on this. But the question is, have you tried it? It's time to get to see, it's time to go see what all the buzz in the Dynasty community is all about. Free agency, multi-year contracts, a rookie draft, multi-team trades, franchise tags, contract extensions, first-round rookie options, automated contract and salary cap functionality, and so much more. Think it sounds complicated? That sounded kind of complicated, but it's not. The best thing about Reality Sports Online Fantasy Front Office is it doesn't take any more time than a standard league. It just requires more strategy. So if you think you're among the fantasy elite, and listening to us sure helps, well, this is a platform to test your metal. Still not sure? You can test out your general manager skills for free in a mock free agency auction. So if you like what you see then, use our pro- promo code, our promo code, Blueprint, all one word, all lowercase, and by doing so, you receive a 10% discount on your team or league today. Fantasy just got real at realitysportsonline.com, and remember to use our promo code, Blueprint. Travis, we've talked running backs. Let's move to the wide receivers. You said that your other article that you focused on for the guide was charting the 2019 wide receivers, the in, this incoming rookie class. I look over this article, and, and my mind is just blown with how much work this must have taken. First, just tell <laughs> us about uh, your process a little bit, what it was like to uh, – or, or how you went through charting these, these incoming rookies. Yeah, so you're you're right. It was a lot of work, <laughs> but I, I just I really wanted to find a way. Uh, I guess here recently I've just been trying to rather than just when I look at film, just trying to assess key traits uh, that can sometimes be sometimes be clouded by my subjectivity, my opinions of these players before I even go in. I, I tried to find something concrete. I want to I want to really quantify what's going on in the film in a way with some objective information. So that it's not really so much my opinion rather than just what exactly happened. So that kind of was the idea behind it. I wanted to see, okay, wh- where are they having success on the field? Where, where are they lining up? Are they, are they trusted on third downs? Like, you know, goofy things like that. Like, are they running a lot of the same routes? Are they lining up in the same personnel package all the time? Are they left wide receiver, right wide receiver slot? you know, whatever it is, um, and really just look at how they win and, and uh, ob- objectively. So where, like, where do they add yak? Where do they add, you know, where, where do they really excel in terms of yards per reception over wide receivers um, in the same class? So I just really took a close look at uh, eight of the, the best games of their career uh, against primarily power five competition. If I could, uh, you know, they're, you know, the guys that don't always even play eight power five teams, you really can't do that. But Trying to, to take eight really relevant games of their career and just break it down, um, you know, and find what what I could really find in terms of takeaways, um, and and find that uh, Riley Ridley likes curl routes and and uh, DK Metcalf really just runs two routes seventy five percent of the time and and other takeaways that you know you you wouldn't necessarily find when you're just looking for the traits in film analysis. You mentioned Metcalf, and I know everyone's enamored with him and. Boy, he really looks great. Did you see him with his shirt off? Did you see how big he is? <laughs> you see him in the bench press. Wow, he's fast too. But when I watched him too, I'm like, all he does is run goes and comebacks and posts, basically. I mean, like nothing that are breakdown, change direction. Well, maybe that's something to do with him not being able to do the three cones and shuttles well. Uh, yeah, I think you're definitely right. I think uh, he's not been, he's not really ever shown that he can be uh, very agile. 
Uh, and so, yeah, I think part of it's just Ole Miss's scheme. Uh, they use their slots a certain way. They use their X's a certain way. But at the same time, uh, you'd like to see him do a little bit something extra sometimes, right? But he just knows how to win up close to the line of scrimmage to get beyond people. And really, obviously, when when you have the, the deep threat that he is, people are going to play off. And so your curl, curl routes, even though they aren't very sharp, your comebacks aren't very sharp, you still have a bunch of space to work with. So, I mean, if you look at his, his yardage distribution, which is in the guide, it's just... It's kind of crazy just to see uh, the percentage of his plays that go for 10 yards or less compared to the the percentage of plays that go for 26 or more. Like hmm. in between 11 yards and 25 yards, only 10 percent of his. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that just doesn't ex- that doesn't exist. There's like 10 percent of his entire production comes in between 11 and 25, and everything else lives in the extremes. So it's just hmm. it's just funny to, to see that type of extreme anything and then a player's profile. So, I mean, even if you try to comp him to like a Calvin Johnson, Calvin Johnson was still uh, a a more comprehensive route runner than uh, DK Metcalf. So it's really hard to gauge somebody like him just because there really isn't a comp uh, in recent memory. Yeah, and he just looks so good on the hoof. I think people get excited about that and that, you know, we're not selling jeans here. Yeah. (laughs) If we were, though, we would be rich if we were relying on DK. So. Travis, let's go through a few of the other uh, receivers in that top tier and just share with us some of your takeaways through this process. Obviously, as you kind of alluded to, going this deep into their film and, and taking the steps that you did to chart their routes and, and every reception, essentially every touch they had through those games, you're going to learn a lot of things that you're not going to know if you're just reading a couple articles, if you're yeah. watching the occasional game on Saturday or, or what have you. We talked about DK already. Let's move on to Nikhil Harry. What did you learn about uh, about the the wide receiver one for many people, including myself? Yeah, well, one thing that you notice when you're watching Arizona State is they're not exactly um, the stereotypical normal offense by any means. Uh, and they really get creative with how they create their yards. Uh, I think uh, even though Harry was a massive person, uh, 6'3", 200 and whatever he is, I mean, uh, just a physical specimen, uh, not maybe as extreme as a DK Metcalf, but he's a big dude. And you don't always think of those big guys being the screen-type wide receivers. But he actually ran a pretty high percentage of screens for a big guy, like about a quarter of his receptions in the eight-game sample that I charted were screens. And it was basically the... I don't know, almost like an extension of the run game when they'd be facing uh, kind of an unfavorable box. Uh, they see a tiny little defensive back outside uh, on Nikhil Harry and say, oh, that's an easy six yards and just chuck it out to him. Um, and he actually gained a lot of extra yards after the catch because, I mean, he just had guys that did not match up with him well. But he's much more than that. He be, he really grew out of just um, that type of simple route runner in this final year as well kind of distributed everything between curl go obviously screen still but then a lot of slants and even even some uh, kind of motion looks <laughs> in his game uh, but he really really became a much better route runner this year but the screens thing really threw me for a loop and I recognized that wow that's a quarter of his game I uh, didn't see that coming I've heard some complain or, or worry about his ability to get off press coverage does that scare you at all you know I don't think so I think okay. I, I, I'm obviously you want to see reps of people doing that in in college if, if you can but most of the time in college that that just doesn't happen there's not a bunch of reps where you see like every down they're just pressing somebody mm-hmm. for the most part and that's part of just where college football is right now part of where college football defenses are right now just not the same game exactly. And so I'm not really worried about a guy of Nikhil's size and athleticism being able to get off of press coverage at all. I might be worried about a smaller guy, like maybe a Hollywood Brown or something like that, but not so much in the case of Harry. I ask that because when I got hired by the Browns, the first, basically this first thing they do whenever you're a new scout was you'd spend a few hours with each position coach. You know, I mean, you'd see what those guys are specifically looking for. And one of the first things basically driven into my head was every wide receiver coach said, and actually every corner coach said, 
watch every snap of press coverage you possibly can, and it's going to be hard yeah. to find, but try to get yeah. every one of those you can. Yeah, it's few and far between, really. I mean, you have to dig for it uh, and just look for snaps where they weren't even involved in the play and see what happens, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it just doesn't happen a ton in the college game, especially Pac-12, <laughs> so sure. no less. Travis, what about Hakeem Butler? He was uh, one of my favorite receivers pre-combine, and then since the combine, he's kind of been blowing up and, and gaining some value, it seems. I think earlier he was outside of this elite wide receiver tier and now he's right in the middle of it maybe even near the top of it tell us what you learned about butler well i mean the first thing that really pops out just when you look at a stat sheet is how in the world is this six five monster averaging like 22 yards per reception that's not that's not typically uh the go-to for a guy who looks like butler does you know six five two twenty something and and he you know takes about 40 percent of his receptions deep all day uh, but part of that comes in how he's used. I mean, about a quarter of his game, a quarter of uh, Harry's was screens, about a quarter of Hakeem Butler's in terms of receptions. It's just po- like some vari- variation of post routes. Uh, and he does that really well. Uh, he times his stem really well. He, he, he steps up into the face of the, of the DB and just wins and drops him off at that point. Really better than any bigger guy I think I've ever watched. Uh, so he really just got really good at that and working the go routes. Uh, but even winning underneath on out routes, he just wins on press coverage like you were looking for, uh, like you said, Matt. And then uh, even in situations where he's got to create some space in curl routes, he, he can do that as well with his agility. Uh, he didn't test in the, the agility drills at the combine, but I, I think it's safe to say he's better than a third percent uh, athlete in the uh, agility uh, category uh, when compared to uh, Metcalf. Uh, so, you know, it's just, it's really hard to uh, glean, um, you know, everything from charting, but uh, it was fun to see him just destroy people on the post route. And really that he, his pre-snap alignment distribution was probably the most balanced of anybody like left wide receiver, slot left, slot right, right wide receiver. It was right almost at class average, uh, on on every pre-snap alignment, which was the only wide receiver of all the top guys I looked at uh, that had any anywhere. And most guys are like just left, just right, just slot. No, he was everything. So I like to see somebody who can do it like that. I was about to ask you that. I'm sitting here looking at that chart, and I thought, boy, I bet he didn't line up in the slot that much. Wow, almost 14%. Wow, he's on the left, uh, you know, uh, almost a third of the time. He's all over the formation and mm-hmm. the other one that stands out in the opposite way is Metcalf. He's a hundred percent left wide receiver, <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's what it says here. And this guy's awesome, by the way. Everyone should get it. Um, but it's a big red flag to me. I mean, unless you're the Peyton Manning, Wayne Harrison Colts, if you only line up in one place, I don't know if DK Metcalf's the smartest dude in the world or the dumbest dude in the world, but probably leans towards the latter <laughs> in terms of football <laughs> intelligence. If they're only lining you up in one spot. So then I looked, okay, maybe they do a left-right thing with him and A.J. Brown. No, A.J. Brown's all over the place. So when Metcalf's out there, you're the left wide receiver. Like, Des Bryant was that way. And that was a reason he didn't get picked up for a while. Because I can only line up in one spot, coach. (laughs) Exactly. So it's not like that's the end-all, be-all. Like, he can't win in the NFL playing Mm -hmm. left wide receiver. I think he can. It's just... Yeah, there's a little bit of a ridiculous simplicity to his game that he's going to have to learn to do something else or teams are just going to have an answer. It's the, it's the NFL. So, Travis, back to Butler. You, you talked about his, his deep threat uh, and his, his, the go routes that he ran. Do you see that role kind of translating to the NFL or, or is he going to have to change his game as well? I think he's going to have to learn uh, a few other things, uh, but he's more than just – that deep threat. I think he can win and he can be that jump ball guy downfield, but uh, I think he showed enough out of press situations, even from the slot at, at 6'5", 220 plus, uh, being able to, to create some some space and uh, taking a route deep over the middle and, um, and really just kind of finding that soft spot in the zone. I think he, he showed a, a football IQ in um, several occasions where I, I'm not really worried as much about him finding a place and picking up on an offense and it just wasn't really a question uh, when I watched Butler. You guys mentioned AJ Brown. Let's talk about him. Of course he is, uh, was Metcalf's teammate at uh, Ole Miss. 
I would say less heralded, but much more productive than Metcalf. Yeah, he was definitely uh, basically the most productive by far on that team. Basically every year he was, almost every year he was there. Uh, So I really like A.J. Brown, like his game. And you mentioned, Matt, that in my charts he is all over the place. Uh, Part of him being all over the place in his pre-snap alignment had to do with uh, D.K. Metcalf being injured because as soon as uh, Metcalf went down he kind of was slid out to that left wide receiver but he was also kind of tossed over to right wide receiver he'd also still slide into the slot from time to time as well he he was asked to do more when he was asked to be the same guy and so I thought that was interesting in games like uh, I guess it was the Vanderbilt game I'm trying to think of another uh, big game like uh, oh man what was it the Texas A&M game uh, South Carolina game uh, he was asked to just win from uh, basically all three or four, whatever you want to say, wide receiver positions, and he could do it. Not necessarily maybe always against press coverage like you like to see, uh, but he did uh, at all levels of the field find a way to win uh, from slot or outside. So people think he's only a big slot, but he he's shown that he's actually really effective from the outside. Actually, on the sample uh, that I was looking at, 81% of his receptions from the outside went for more than 10 yards per reception uh, went for uh, more than 10 yards <laughs> on the play. And uh, he was actually less effective from the slot. But, and that's probably because schematically Ole Miss just runs a bunch of bland blah from the slot. They run a bunch of quick outs. <laughs> and so if you watch the wrong games, you won't like A.J. Brown because he runs a bunch of blah stuff that just doesn't look impressive. But he's much greater than that role. Does he remind you of Juju at all? Yeah, I think that that is an easy comp to make if you're looking for a success story right out of the gate. Um, I don't think he's quite uh, what Juju was. I don't. I don't think he broke out as early. I think his game. There are some similarities to their game, uh, and he's a he's a big slot that can slide outside, uh, and he probably could be fine just outside. Uh, so if if by that in that regard, I think so. Yeah, uh, if I was going to paint the perfect picture of what he could become. Uh, that would be uh, somebody that I would I would point to. Travis, let's finish up with uh, Kelvin Harmon. He's a guy. While while Butler and, and maybe some of the others have been rising, it seems like Harmon has been falling post combine. What'd you see with him? With Kelvin Harmon, obviously he's another guy who almost exclusively, not completely exclusively, but almost uh, lines up at right wide receiver. Uh, the difference being where he lines up as a right wide receiver. I mean, he can slide, you know, line up almost uh, adjacent to the line of uh, scrimmage, like close to your tight ends with just one tiny slot guy uh, in between him. Uh, he can line up way out wide. Uh, NC State is another just interesting scheme uh, that they had going on. A lot of it had to do with uh, Jalen Samuels and Naheem Hines the year before, uh, just bringing such versatility. So it's kind of hard to gauge what uh, Kelvin Harmon really was maybe just a year ago. Uh, but when the, when they didn't have all those gadget plays as much uh, this past year, uh, I think uh, he kind of settled into more of a normal wide receiver role. But uh, his usage in terms of his depth of target was spread out all over the field. He is he's the most balanced player, in my opinion, just looking at the numbers here of, among all the top wide receivers in terms of balance distribution across uh, all depths of the field and being particularly effective in the mid-range of the field like that six to ten yards 11 to 15 yards he's super deadly because of his uh, fade just the back shoulder fade I mean that's almost indefensible with him Uh, he was another guy who found success uh, really even separating which it it sounds silly to kind of talk about the details like this much but he, he probably separates more on curl routes than anybody at his size I've ever seen uh, I mean, he can have somebody playing press coverage. He, he, you know, he sells the go, he sells the post, and then he just bites. And he shows that agility to get down and get open uh, in tight spaces. He doesn't always necessarily uh, separate a ton deep because he doesn't have elite speed. But the intermediate levels of the field where he can be a chain mover at the next level, I think that translates for sure. So, Travis, outside of these top-tier receivers that we've talked about, Who's the player that moved up your rankings as a result of this charting process? Somebody you like more now? You know, I think I'd heard uh, all the narratives you want to hear uh, about Marquise Brown because he's a little smaller. Um, 
yeah, well, he's very small. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just not, not sugarcoat it. And he has the foot issue. And so a lot of people, and especially in on draft Twitter and dynasty Twitter, just look at him and say outlier. He sucks. I don't want to even be interested. And, uh, but you know, some real draft people that I, I respect really like Hollywood Brown. Uh, and that really showed up in the charting. His, his route running versatility. I mean, no route, no one route accounted for more than 15% of his receptions when you look at his profile, uh, which doesn't sound crazy, but most players like have at least one or two routes that account for 20, 25% or more uh, of their game. And so for him to have that kind of balance, uh, to his game, I was really intrigued to see that. Uh, and really his effectiveness as a, as a deep threat, he really goes, you don't even have to really talk about it for too long because everyone kind of knows he's kind of a, a monster in the deep game, but he can do much more that, uh, than that. I think he, he's shown, um, in limited capacity to run corners well and limited capacity to run comebacks well and limited capacity to do a bunch of things, uh, really well. And he's not just the, the, uh, you know, short game guy is not just the mid-range guy he's not just the deep range guy i think he has a balance to his game and he's a better yak artist i think than debo is which a lot of people want to say that debo um is you know he's he's the guy to get excited about in this class but i think marquise brown showed to be a better yak guy than debo and it's not all just scheme dependent whereas debo is like a huge percentage of his game like a quarter of it is just like jet motion and screens, a uh, huge, huge portion of his game is just that, like 33% or so. Uh, that's not what Marquise Brown relied upon to get open. He made himself open, and, and the quarterback just hit him. But uh, So I, I think it, I found a lot of uh, good things about him. I'm not projecting huge NFL success given the outlier that he would be, but I was pleasantly surprised for sure. I mean, you think he's a quality route runner? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, he demonstrated to be successful in virtually every route that you could possibly ask a wide receiver to run. And let's go the other direction. Who is a player that uh, maybe fell in your rankings as a result of, of your work here? Uh, I think uh, I was excited about like maybe a Greg Dortch uh, for a while, another really tiny guy. Uh, but uh, I, I liked his game, just kind of watching it passively uh, to, and see some, you know, you see some crazy stat lines and, um, does really well against some uh, high-class opponents and things like that. But when I really looked at it, I was like, holy cow, this guy schemed open a ton. Like 34 35% of his game is screens. Another huge portion of it is, is basically the same out-route play, which, uh, depending on how they line it up, is basically like a pick play. Uh, or it's just like a, an out that's, you know, he has five yards of separation. All he does has to be, you know, three steps, and just kind of jog to the sideline until the quarterback hits him. He's doing nothing to actually make something happen. So just the screen and out routes were accounting for like 55% of his game in terms of receptions. And I was thinking, wow, um, I don't think that that really translates or says anything about him, the player, uh, making this play happen. Uh, so, yeah, he was productive because he was the only only you know girl in the bar <laughs> at uh, Wake Forest I mean they have some okay options but that he definitely dropped down the list for me after doing this all right great stuff Travis uh, just just as you did in the Dynasty Command Center rookie guide you you've dropped some great knowledge for us today on running backs and wide receivers in this rookie class we're gonna wrap it up today as we do in in most of these episodes with a one round rookie mock draft and travis as our guest we're going to give you the first pick oh man that's awful <laughs> why would you do that uh, uh, last uh, year everybody wanted that pick i don't, yeah. I don't get it <laughs> yeah everyone was like oh no pressure it's just saquon like check done that, that's been done since last october but no i think uh, my 101 changes all the time uh but i think the safest I, i've convinced myself that the safest pick of all the elite wide receivers is probably Nikhil Harry, given what we know about uh, production profiles, breakout ages, his physical uh, profile, and really what he did as a route runner in the past year or so. So I think I'm going to lean Harry right now. Um, you made a pretty strong argument against Jacobs and for Miles Sanders, and I frankly trust you more than I trust me, but I'm still going to take <laughs> Jacobs. He, he was my number one 
before today, and I'm going to stick with it at least temporarily. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I won't. I won't judge. All right. I've got the third pick. I'm. I'm going to stick with with my guy Hakeem Butler at three. I think I would actually take him at two as of now. And and we know the draft is going to change all of this. That's the fun part of it. So first three picks: Nikhil Harry, Joshua Jacobs, Hakeem Butler. And Travis, you're back for the 1.04. Back on the clock, I'm really tempted to take DK Metcalf here just because of the just ridiculous upside of who he is. But if I'm playing it safe and I want a player that I think is going to have a role immediately and for a long time, I don't know about the ceiling, but I'm going to go with A.J. Brown at the fourth pick. Yeah, I think I got to take Metcalf at the fifth pick here, don't I? I mean, come yeah. on, that's a gift. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I haven't said anything good about him, but that's too appealing. Yes, Metcalf. Yes. <laughs> Oh, okay. This is this is where it gets tough. I think we're at the end of the running back tier. I think we're close to the end of the wide receiver tier. Um, I am going to. I'm going to. I'm going to steal Travis's guy. I'm going to take Miles Sanders here. Come on. <laughs> Come on. I couldn't let him oh. slide to seven for you. I had to make it tough on you. Okay. Okay. Well, if if you make me do it, I I I, I'm, I will settle for David Montgomery here. At the seven slot here, I think uh, he's going to be one of three or four guys that gets uh, some decent early draft capital. And, uh, you know, if his landing spot's not terrible, I think he'll settle in in, in this range for sure. That, that's a pretty good consolation prize, though, as, as the running back three outside yeah. of the top half of the, of oh, the yeah. first round. I mean, I'll Montgomery's a guy, yeah, Montgomery's a guy we thought had maybe a chance of going 101 in this class not so long ago. Oh, yeah. All right. Matt, it is back to you at 1.08. Yeah, I'm looking to trade out, but <laughs> I, I think I'll take Hollywood Brown. And I kind of feel like, just because we didn't see him light up the combine and he's been a little bit out of sight, out of mind, that people were a little too light on him. You know, you're looking at mock drafts and he's not in the first round very often. And I think the NFL is going to love this guy. I mean, in a spread type of situation, um, I'm not saying he's Tyreek Hill, but he's in that conversation. Well, Djax is the comp we see most with him, right? And the the problem that Travis kind of uh, alluded to is Djax is kind of one of a kind guy. There's there's there <laughs> yeah. haven't been many in that mold uh, of that size that have that have really succeeded. So that's the concern: is is he another Djax? Uh, if if not, then he's probably a bust. So that's that's the worry. But I kind of side with with Travis. I think he's better than we're maybe giving him credit for. Yeah. All right. I am up at 1.09 and I'm going to take the guy that was a top three pick again, not so long ago. I'll take Kelvin Harmon here. I get the, I get the slide. I get the reason for it. Uh, after a poor combine, we, he's a year older than we thought somehow that just kind of came out recently, but at the ninth pick, I think it's great value. Uh, that takes us back to Travis and Travis, this is the 110. And it's actually your last pick in this mock. Man, draft. I can I can only have four first rounders. I don't know if I. Uh, it's not really <laughs> it's fair. Dis- I should. I should get to just finish. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I think I'm going to go with uh, Daryl Henderson here, and, and that's a guy that we didn't even really get to tonight. But I think he's somebody that is definitely being overlooked by a lot. I think uh, what he did at Memphis uh, in some big spots uh, against uh, UCF, the you know former national champions. I think. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, just not even funny at this point, but, uh, Daryl Henderson, I'll go with at at the 10th pick. He was just immensely uh, efficient in an impressive way. And, uh, it turns out he's kind of fast too. Yeah. Kind of fast. Yeah. National champions in their own mind. Uh, Matt, the one eleven pick, your last pick of this mock draft. The Iowa tight ends are looking at me, and I easily could have gone that direction. And I think you got to almost consider Kyler Murray around this neighborhood, but I'm going to be boring, and I'm going to hit, take the double off the wall with Damian Harris. Okay. Yeah, I, I like that pick. I think this is about where we'll see him go. But uh, just you mentioned the tight ends. You mentioned uh, the QB, the expected QB one in Murray, and it's just nice that in this late first round range, we've got some nice options. You know, a lot of years right. you get to this point and you think, eh, I don't, I don't really want any of these guys. I don't think it's going to. I don't think we're going to have that feeling this year. I'm going to take a guy that I kind of feel is maybe being viewed as a little boring as well at the wide receiver position. I'm going to take J.J. Arcega-Whiteside from Stanford. 
uh, another Matt, like I said, just kind of solid double. I don't, I don't think the ceiling is there uh, that some of these other receivers have, but uh, I, I do think he could come in and produce, uh, produce right away. So let's do a quick recap of the draft. Travis took Nikhil Harry first overall. Matt took Josh Jacobs as the RB1. I took Hakeem Butler. Then it went A.J. Brown, <clears throat> D.K. Metcalf, Miles Sanders, David Montgomery, Marquise Brown, Kelvin Harmon, Daryl Henderson, Damian Harris, and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Travis, great stuff today. Loved, <laughs> loved it all. Great, uh, great information. Tell us, we, we've talked about this guide a lot. Tell us where we can find this guide and what you're doing over at Dynasty Command Center. Yeah, so obviously you can go to uh, DynastyCommandCenter.com and uh, check out the Rookie Guide and much more that, that we're doing uh, with uh, Dynasty Command Center. You know, we've got our roster analytics, uh, even some best ball stuff, and we've got our premium Slack, which is always a lot of fun just talking football, talking NFL draft, talking about the guide and talking about uh, just about anything to do with NFL and even some Debbie stuff, some IDP, and there's a little bit of everything for everyone there. So uh, I'm just excited to be a part of the DCC family and uh, doing the uh, podcast now too, about uh, nine or 10 episodes in. So lots of fun there too. Good stuff. All right. Thanks again, Travis. We'll be back next time with more Dynasty Blueprint. <laughs>